Welcome to the second episode of the Word on Worldviews podcast, where two friends discuss the various philosophies, worldviews and opinions, both current and throughout history. This second episode is a continuation of a discussion we started last week. Hello Kurt, how's your week been? Are you working on anything interesting? Hi Mornay, good to be speaking with you for this next podcast episode. Uh, my week's been pretty good. I've just been working on Sunday's teaching in Jonah. I'll be in chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. So Nineveh's response to uh, Jonah's preaching. Oh, that sounds um, very interesting. Uh, it, it is. It's uh, amazing to see how God has worked throughout human history and uh, cares to show his uh, love even to unbelievers so that's been quite fascinating to go through um other than that i have been running my household uh trying a bit of work in the garden and just uh keeping this house standing keeping it clean <laughs> and you how has your week been it's been actually quite nice my family uh well my parents and uh, my brother and his wife are visiting here in Porch. Uh, for a few days and it's very nice to have them here and uh, see them again since they live far away so we've been spending some good time together and you know, just in, in enjoying it um, they've really been helping us a lot also since my wife uh, is busy with uh, her responsibilities on campus as well and so juggling things and it really helps to have another few pair of hands with a small baby in the house Fantastic. That sounds great. Yeah, definitely. We're so grateful for them. Right. Well, to get into uh, tonight's episode then, in the previous episode, we dealt with the issue of authority and interpretation of speech, as well as the Bible, uh, as for the basis of our worldview. Now, uh, before I go any further, I just want to address the fact that we are not sponsored by any ministry or publishing company. Uh, and I say this because from my experience, people take issue with the fact that someone quotes or references a book and think, oh, you're trying to make money out of us. But um, I can assure you that we make no money from the sale of any books mentioned. None at all. We only cite and reference them to be academically and morally honest because plagiarism is stealing and from my seminary days this was uh, drilled into me and i'd also just like to add that as as christians in general we, we don't want to take credit for someone else's work so the aim of our podcast is to edify believers and help unbelievers better understand what we believe and why we believe it. So buy the books mentioned or don't buy them. It's your free choice. Okay, so now that I've got that massive disclaimer and clarification out of the way, let's continue. Uh, some people might say that we are biased because of who we're influenced by and where we've, stu where we've studied or what we're studying. So the question is then, how can we defend the literal grammatical hermeneutic, uh, sorry, literal grammatical historical hermeneutic from the Bible itself? 
That seems like a valid question, I suppose. Yes. So surely the Bible should tell us something about interpreting it. Now, uh, Dr. Christopher Cohn, in his book, Priority in Biblical Hermeneutics and Theological Method, points out something that I actually didn't think of before. Now, this is found in the foundational book of the Bible, which is Genesis. And Genesis actually sets the standard for the interpretation of the whole Bible. And uh, unsurprisingly, this is called the Genesis Principle. So all we need to do is run through all the times God spoke and then run through all the responses from whom he was speaking to. So do they respond literally then or in some other way? So to show this, uh, I'm going to read what God has said and then or now you can read the response. So I'll list the references and then you can look at the response to God in Scripture. Okay, definitely. Let's start with that. All right. So, of course, we're in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said... Okay, so... Let God, the, sorry, uh, I thought that was... Well, God is... Well, sort of looks like an audience response there, but uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's right. So, in the, the next reference, we have... Uh, the Lord God's uh, speaking to Adam. So this is after uh, Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit, the tree from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the Bible says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And in 3 verse 10 he says, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Next reference, uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 13 through 16. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And in 6.22, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Now we come to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, one of the most famous and well-known uh, parts of the, the book of Genesis, with Abraham and his son. Now it came to pass, uh, this is verses 1 and 2, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. 
And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And in Genesis chapter 22 verse 10, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. See, so just to clarify, Abraham didn't really uh, sacrifice uh, his son. God provided uh, a ram in a thicket for him to uh, sacrifice. God was testing Abraham here and Abraham believed God and he acted on what God had said. So he didn't slay his son. He went and got the ram that God provided. Yes. So how did the audience respond in each of these instances? Uh, literally. Yeah, they responded literally. They didn't look for a hidden or spiritualized uh, or allegorized message in what God had said. And uh, also, if you run through the search on any uh, free Bible software, we have 36 times in Genesis where we find God said. We have the Lord said in five verses and he said in 24 verses yes so basically taking what god at his taking god at his word and therefore as we mentioned last week looking for the messenger's intent that's right Uh, something else that's uh, very interesting and uh, i would say important to point out is um, also from uh, dr cone's book he further points out that there are two thousand years of history from Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 to chapter 5 verse 1. Uh, this is from the book A Concise Bible Survey. Survey. So for 2,000 odd years people understood that they were to interpret speech normally so in a literal sense. Now there are only a handful of instances where the response isn't specifically given. For example, uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, when Noah and his family were told to repopulate the earth. Okay, Noah, didn't, Noah and his family didn't uh, respond uh, there specifically, but it is obvious that it was responded to literally because the earth was repopulated. And here we are. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> so we can deduce that the people obeyed what God said based on what they do subsequently then, although the response may not be immediately apparent. Something I've also heard or read Dr. Cohn mention a few times is that the one example where people don't take God at his word in Genesis is when the serpent in the garden made Eve question, was that really what God said? Uh, and we all know how that turned out. Uh, oh, Yes. Here yes, we sir. are. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah. So it's always it's it's always negative to uh, question God and go with your own reasoning, your own reasoning according to your sin nature, what you think is best to do. Yes, and to question, you know, you know, to sort of try to find another meaning, maybe uh, to justify uh, what the real intent is, sort of ignore ignore or avoid the intent based on some other preference yeah so now our audience listening might say that's fine 
But now they, they might ask, uh, since we, we just looked at interpreting the Bible from the Bible, uh, they, they might ask now why use outside sources to interpret uh, the Bible then? So, uh, for example, what uh, I used in seminary class and what I use often as a, a pastor, things like lexicons, Bible dictionaries, grammar books, uh, Bible interpretation books, and other books like Dr. Cohn's uh, books that we've mentioned here. Why teachers? And uh, people like to say, Christians, you get Christians who like to say, it's just me and the Holy Spirit. So uh, I would answer you saying God communicated and wrote the Bible in human languages. That would be the original Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now, all languages then have rules in order to function properly. So there's a reason why people speak the way they do. So you cannot mm. have anarchy in language because then you will have anarchy in practice. Makes sense. So, yeah, you have to learn the rules of language to understand the Bible correctly. Uh, you need a Bible dictionary to show you the meaning of words uh, in context. So language is language. It has rules to it. And you need to learn those rules. So uh, children that were able to go to school in the ancient world would have learned the rules of their languages. They would have learned Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, and God has then communicated in those languages. We also find that God appointed men to teach uh, in the Bible. So, first of all, uh, the first example, during the first return of Israel from the exile in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. We also have Philip, who taught the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 38. Philip asked him if he understood what he was reading, and uh, he admitted he couldn't uh, understand unless someone taught him. And then, uh, for the last example, God also gave us, that is the church, he gave us teachers in Ephesians 4, verse 11. So, God is not against us being taught with the aid of someone else. Now, are they infallible? Are they not able to fail? Uh, absolutely not. They are just as capable of making mistakes as any other man. So only God then and his word are infallible. Yes, um, and even considering that God appointed men to teach, as you've explained now so thoroughly and with such good examples, um, we should keep in mind that even teachers are subject to that authority of God's word. Uh, yes. We can also consider that uh, Jesus himself, uh, who has all the authority, when tempted by Satan in the wilderness, appealed to the authority of the scriptures when refuting Satan's deceptive use of the scriptures. This should make us pause and think, because Jesus, who could rightfully simply rebuke Satan based on his own authority, set an example of how to appeal this, to the scriptures when confronted with temptation. Yes, that's an excellent example. And I'm thinking of uh, when he was confronted by the, the Pharisees, he would also 
refer back to Scripture. I mean, mm. for example, when they confronted him on the topic of divorce, he qu then quoted uh, Genesis in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark uh, chapter 10. So husband and wife are not to separate. And so he took Genesis literally. Yeah, now, that's such a great example again again referring then back to our genesis principle yes yes the the blueprint for interpreting the bible is in the book of genesis yeah. itself so that brings us to our next section but still on the topic of uh, genesis being the blueprint for bible interpretation this now brings us to today's cringeometer and for the cringeometer we have bad interpretations of Genesis. Now I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 through 17. So God has created the Garden of Eden and he's put the man and the woman in the garden. So the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 from verse 15 through 17, uh, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. All right, just a correction. He put Adam in the garden here, and then from verse 18 we, we read that um, God was uh, going to create Eve. So... I've heard some very strange interpretations of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what was the fruit. Now, one of the first strange interpretations is sex. But it can't be that because God says to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and in the first half of verse 28... Uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So why on earth would anyone think that it is uh, human marital relations if God's word is so clear they were to be fruitful and multiply to build the earth uh, what do you think about this Mornay? <laughs> as a married man i obviously have to disagree with the idea of marriage and marital <laughs> relations being part of the forbidden part because god created that and i don't know it's like i want to run away type of cringe it's uh it's still <laughs> hard to figure out the scoreboard for this and exactly where to put it but it's definitely up there in terms of you know, it, it seems like someone trying to justify a certain idea uh, and maybe someone who's really Im either immature or, I don't know, totally uh, not straight, not clear about what is, what is written in scriptures about. I mean, someone who's maybe too thinks that the Bible doesn't talk about topics like this. Uh, doesn't read his Bible, maybe. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, yeah. Well, 
if they're right, then I'm more virtuous than all of you because <laughs> I'm a single man. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not right. I'm just joking. No, no, we, the Bible's pretty clear here. All right, so that's for me. That would be a, from the pulpit. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on then. Uh, next weird interpretation. The fruit was a computer. Accessing the computer to acquire the forbidden knowledge. Now, I can't remember exactly why, uh, or, or, yeah, why this was... Um, guessed as, as one of the options uh, but I think it had something to do with the human race being created by aliens for slave labor you know, to mine gold for them whatever they wanted to use it for in their spaceships and we were not supposed to find out our true origin wow that's that that's very strange and uh, it's really is like a, a cyberpunk version of of Genesis or something like that going on. <laughs> You've been watching too many movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Little less Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> right. Th uh, third strange interpretation. Um, something along the lines of, oh yes, a, 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 yeah, a time machine. So something along the lines of going to the future to see what would happen in human history. Now, I can't remember the full explanation. A lot of the stuff I heard years and years ago when I was young. Um, so I can't remember the full explanation, but it would make sense that it would have something to do with acquiring knowledge, some kind of preparation for coming back to the past and, you know, directing civilization. What do you think about this one? does sound like a plot this definitely sounds like a plot for a sci-fi film <laughs> uh you know and that this just reminded me of something that a part one of the back to the future films uh yeah. where they don't need the uh the enriched uranium or whatever or the plutonium to whatever nuclear material they use for the flux capacity in the future they didn't need that anymore it could run on fruit and vegetables this, the the <laughs> flux capacitor could run on fruits and vegetables. So, no, that's that's the forbidden fruit, the time machine. You know, some of these people think of these strange interpretations. Just stick to writing fiction. That's that's my opinion. Yeah. I think they can write. I, I'm sure they can write some excellent fiction. <laughs> the, the aliens are angry with you right now, and they're trying to get into your mind. Yeah, yeah it all sort of reminds you of Scientology, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> you, you need to put more tinfoil under your helmet so that they have more trouble getting into your mind. Yeah. So they, <laughs> that's, this has been a very uh, helpful approach to look at the Genesis and to link it to the Genesis and the Cringometer as well to mm -hmm. keep it all thematic. The, um, uh, since Genesis is that first book you read when you open the Bible and if you want if you just stick with that and see the interpretive approach uh, and that proper response to God the speech acts of God it really helps to clarify things if you keep that consistent and well you have to start from that position that this is authoritative but that's if you right. just stick with it and then taste and see as the psalmist writes and taste and see that the Lord is good it really helps to get some good clarity on interpretive yeah. method 
It does. And I would say as well that people who come up with these funny interpretations, uh, they might genuinely be ignorant. I mean, a, a new Christian, a baby Christian who doesn't know all of these things might latch onto something like this, depending on their persuasion. And I mean, I grew up with science fiction films, so um, this made a lot of sense to me <laughs> at, um, way back in the day. Um, and then on the other hand, uh, people who are unbelievers wanting specifically to try and disprove the Bible and would be looking for just anything to grasp at, you know, these books written by people they will never meet, you know, who are making a lot of money out of them and uh, getting a lot of subscriptions on their YouTube channel and their podcasts and what have you, you know, monetizing the ignorance of the population and uh, just uh, using sensationalism as a, a something to draw people to their ideas. Yeah, like the Bible version of History Channel's Ancient Aliens. <laughs> oh, don't give them any ideas. <laughs> yeah, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, uh, I hope that you all have enjoyed our uh, second episode from our Word on Worldviews podcast. And uh, we'd like to invite you to join us for our next episode where we will look at some basics of Bible interpretation to help you better interpret the Bible. So for our brethren in Christ to upbuild you on your most holy faith and for unbelievers to better or to help you better understand why we believe what we believe and um, how we we get to our interpretations. Yes, uh, until next time then. I hope you have a good week, Ed. Thank you very much, and to you as well. Goodbye, everyone. Before I sign off, I just also want to mention that our opening and closing music track is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod from IncompTech.com. And also, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to rate it on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts. Until next week, then.